Welcome to Health Matters by MarketScale. I'm your host, Dr. Medina Nojosa, and this is my co-host. Hi, I'm Melissa Johnson. It's a pleasure to be here today and finally recording our first episode. I want to introduce this episode by asking Alisa to tell us a little bit about herself. Alisa, who are you and why are you here? That's a great question. Um, I'm Alyssa Johnsard, and I'm the Southern Minnesota Public Health Coordinator at ACER, which stands for Hispanic Advocacy and Community Empowerment Through Research. Basically, ACER is an organization that was born as a program through CLUES, um, located up in the cities, uh, Twin Cities, Minnesota, in 1988, um, and we transitioned to 501c3 nonprofit organization in 1997. Um, And basically, we were looking to generate information that all underserved Latino communities in Minnesota would need to improve their living conditions and also open access to better and more effective um, services around the state. Um, So right now, we work on a lot of research, program evaluation, outreach, and leadership training, um, all that based in the community and um, that research formed with the help and collaboration of the community. So as of today, we are one of the only organizations of our type um, across the country, just about, we're among five of the type. So um, that's a little bit about me. Jose, can you tell me about yourself? Well, um, I think we're very lucky to have you and we're gonna take a lot from your experiences. I'm Dr. Miriam Nojosa. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic Rochester. I work in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine. I wear many hats in this and other organizations. Uh, on my day job, I perform clinical, uh, clinical research in preventive cardiology. I also told you I wear other hats in the equity and inclusion field where I serve as uh, the leader of a Latino employee research group is a merge that helps us uh, strive as a minority in our uh, in our hospital. I also serve in the diversity and inclusion committee, and overall, I have a tr- strong interest in mitigating healthcare disparities in the United States and abroad. So, I'm so glad to be finally here, be here today. And Alisa, my next question for you is: What is this podcast about? Yeah, I'm super excited about this podcast, actually, because as I've been working in public health, um, I see a lot of need for information. Basically, our mission with this podcast is to promote health equity by discussing healthy habits, preventative health topics, relevant public health is- and re- relevant public health issues. Um, by approaching these topics with an equitable lens, we really hope to empower individuals to make informed decisions about their health. Um, And really, one of the things I'm most excited about is our collaboration. So I think that being that our duo is composed of a nonprofit public health coordinator that works with underserved communities and a physician and researcher, we will really um, be able to strive to bring our listeners content that is relevant, equitable, and most importantly, accurate. Great. So basically, we are going to take a lot of different approaches to tell you why health matters. Importantly, we're gonna be focused on battling misinformation or let's say a lot of information that's going around and you don't know which topic to choose. Even though we know that we don't hold the truth, we're gonna do our best in the show to summarize evidence-based information to get you the knowledge that you need to make your informed decisions about healthcare. So, um, Alisa, 
So is this going to be a COVID podcast or are we going to talk about all health issues? Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, in reality, this is going to be a, a show that is going to cover all issues. But right now, COVID is centered about around any, everything in our lives, right? Every economic, Absolutely. healthcare decision, every family, every everything it's happened everything that you're considering at the moment it's covid related so for the first few rounds of episodes either alisa or myself or or with special guests that we will have we will be discussing covid related topics and trying to bridge those into healthcare and how is this important for you sounds good to me <laughs> and um so that being said what's the current status of the pandemic what can you tell me are we is it over yet <laughs> well what i could say and i and i and i'm very optimistic about this is that we're getting there we're close we're closer to getting to the next normal or I like at to hear least that. Mm-hmm. the next normal <laughs> or better back to normal it's been a year since the pandemic started we had a lot of uncertainty we saw a lot of people getting very sick a lot of people having other economic and psychological and overall consequences in their life and their lifestyle because of the pandemic but now we have a grasp of the reality we are dealing with a very deadly disease that is transmittable to all and it hurts mostly the most vulnerable but also can affect and everybody at random so the the a long answer to your short question is we're not there yet but you at home and we ha- and us have a lot of data to make our informed decisions at the moment so we're getting there <laughs> good enough for me yeah <laughs> yeah so alisa you are a public health coordinator you are a frontline worker you uh, have most of the knowledge in covid and covid related issues tell me about your experience in in your role i'm going to try to give you a short answer to a very what's been a very long experience that is still continuing um Overall, what I've seen is that um, needs that were already there have been exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, Lack of resources, that has only been amplified. Um, People who were already struggling began struggling even more. Um, And and that's been something really hard to connect individuals with the the resources that they need to help pay their rent. and it's been a an ongoing struggle um one thing that i can say is is kind of a i I don't want to call it a silver lining um people have become much more conscious about how their decisions affect others um and i think that that that's really in the vein of our podcast um personal decisions especially about health are extremely important and they're not just, sometimes they're not just personal, sometimes they can have an impact on others. Um, So really I've seen um, some really wonderful things of people who are staying at home, they're making the commitment to um, really keep others safe, they're staying away uh, from vulnerable populations, they're they're getting tested once a week or or once every other week. 
Um, I think that it's, it's really helped people. It, it's been a very difficult time for people, but also a very empowering time for people to understand that it's, they need to take care of themselves and they need to take care of themselves to take care of others. That, that is very important and it's very touching. Uh, when we started having um, to go in the front line, not just in the clinical setting, but also as uh, bringing information to others, um, we always talked about the economic consequence of having been tested, not just the economic consequence of getting COVID. It's what happens if you, got, if you turn it out to be positive and had to stay home. And of course, in minorities, this effect was double, triple, or even more because of the differences that we have in access to everything, right? Not Absolutely. just healthcare, not just work, not just the, you know, the ability to stay at home and work from home because a lot of us took our computers and your, on our broadband internet and just work from home while we figure out what was going on. But a lot of people didn't have the chance. And that's why we saw that some of the outcomes, the clinical outcomes were not as good in minorities and people that didn't have access. So socioeconomic status played a big role. And, and that's I the think, thing, you can't work from home if you're, if you're making food at a restaurant. You know, you can't bring the meat home to cook. You know, you've got a quarantine and you can't work. That's true, that's true. But well, I think we're going to be able, over the course of the of this show, we're going to be able to touch on specific subjects, uh, always keeping center of what we can do right now to make things better. And we will review what the evidence is and what is the next steps that we can provide. Absolutely. And in that vein of, of what we can do to make things better, um, the vaccine, is, is that what we can do to make things better? Tell me about that. I think the vaccine is the most important health measure that we can do to answer, to, to mitigate the effects of the pandemic. But I say one of them, um, I'm, and I will tell you a little bit more about the vaccine in a second, but we have to understand that as we get vaccinated, we're going to need to keep with some of the important healthcare measures that we have been recognized to and proven to be useful and why One is of that the, because we are still evaluating the data on the efficacy of the vaccine not only that we are still not all vaccinated even though it's very hopeful of the changes and the availability of doses and new vaccines getting um getting approved by the fda and into our arms as soon as possible so and, and I might sound like a broken record. You have heard me say this a million times. We need you to mask up. Um, is, even though in some places the mask mandates are out, is you still your decision to uh, protect yourself and others at home. Even though you're vaccinated, we, we still recommend for you to stay masked uh, when it's not possible. Uh, washing your hands, which we might be tired of carrying, uh, hand sanitizer and cleaning everything up. We have to think about that a year ago, we were washing our grocery bags and, you know, and trying to clean everything. And those that order um, groceries online, they were waiting for them for a while to stay out there, trying to wait for the virus to die, et cetera, et cetera. And we have moved past that. And we understand now that we need to clean things up, that we need to stay sanitized, but we, it's just washing our hands for, uh, um, 
for a good amount of time and just uh, staying clean. Uh, the other thing is social distance, which is the one, and, and, I, and I really like to prefer to call it physical distance, stay, mm-hmm. uh, stay apart from others in a smart way, uh, stay outdoors, limit, limit indoor activities, um, try to only be around the people in your household, not just your family, because not just your neighbor that lives in the next apartment or in the next house for a while. Um, but yet, but coming back to your answer, is the vaccine the answer to the pandemic? As we see, we, see, we can see that even these restrictions are being eased for some of us that are already vaccinated. We are now allowed or recommended, because we now have the recommendation that if, if there's an indoor gathering where, where some people, where all the people have had the complete doses of vaccines, they are allowed to stay on without masks. And that's, that is extremely important. And for me, it gives me um, more energy to go find a vaccine, right? And get vaccinated when it's my turn. Uh, because then I could probably hang out with my friends if they already have done the same, which is one of the most uh, important things that we're missing at the moment. So, and a lot of people that I've talked to about the vaccine, um, you know, they want to go back to normal. They want to see their friends again, um, but they have some, they're a little bit apprehensive about it because the vaccine came together so quickly. Was it rushed? Um, was it, did they take this project from scratch? I mean, um, how, how do we know since it was developed so quickly that it's safe? Well, this is one of the most frequent questions uh, we get. Was this rush? We got them too fast. I, I don't want them. To, I don't want them to experiment on me. And I think we we have pretty solid answers to that question. One, the vaccine was not rushed, and that's a strong answer. And it's very difficult to get a doctor to give you a strong answer. Like this is definite what I believe. My my strong belief, because we know that every single step for the approval of the vaccine was followed. It might have been done in an expedite matter because instead of waiting months for something to be reviewed, it was reviewed ASAP because of the healthcare, public health relevance that this, um, that this vaccines had. Approval was expedited, but all the steps that needed to be followed to prove the safety and efficacy and the other t- uh, phases of surveillance were there. Now, the vaccine did not start from scratch. Uh, coronaviruses have, uh, are a strain of virus, RNA viruses that have been around for, for many, many years. And before this, it will, they will cause um, mild respiratory diseases. And now we have a strain that is very deadly as we have experienced for the last year. And the RNA, um, technology used for this vaccination was already available and being used for to try to mitigate other um, other viruses. What we were lucky is that scientists were able to put these two things together. There's previous knowledge about coronaviruses, not this, uh, no SARS-CoV-19, um, and the knowledge from the previous uh, work on mRNA vaccines and say, here are all the candidates that we can develop and test. So it was not rushed from the developing or the ideation of, of creating the vaccine. It was designed and put into market in an expedite matter, which are two different things. The other thing is that 
it was sort of a all hands on deck situation because of the deadliness of the virus, because we were refrained from many activities, distanced, and our, our lives changed overnight. Then it was basically all the resource, all the monetary resources, all the scientific time, everybody got to work on mitigating the, the, the coronavirus. And that's why we have even seen, you know, a vaccine in a record time, um, people wanting the vaccine uh, in a record time, looking for it everywhere. And we also have seen the clinical outcomes improve. Um, we have can other candidate drugs that we can probably discuss in a later episode, but we do have clinical tools that are helping mitigate um, the effects of the severe disease. Even though they're not perfect, there's some tools, there's some room for improvement, and we'll see if that we will eventually need to do that. And I know a lot of people are working this at the moment. Sure. And for me that I'm um, not particularly, I have a medical background that is more public health focused. Um, mm -hmm. For me, that is one of knowing that, for example, this vaccine follows the model of previous mRNA vaccines, and also that it, it's modeled off of other coronaviruses that have, mm -hmm. you know, it, we have some history studying these type of viruses. Uh, to me, those are the two most comforting facts. Um, yeah. it, you know, it, if you don't know anything about mRNA vaccines or, or about other coronaviruses, then it can be kind of scary. It's like, you know, what did they throw together? But really, when you look at all of the research, the body of research that they put behind this vaccine and the trials, I think that that um, that's a, truly a, some proof that that it is effective and that it has been very well studied. Correct. The other thing that we need to that we need to think about, or the other question that we need to answer is, I don't or I don't want them to experiment. I mean, and that's not a question, but that statement that we get all the time when we try to convince people, we ask the people, are you going to get the vaccine? And that's the, it's a frequent answer. And the real answer is there were a lot of experiments done before the vaccines were, were, were approved. Even before coronavirus was, was a thing and the pandemic uh, started uh, early, late uh, 2019 uh, or, or early 2020, a lot of experiments in vitro, so in the lab were done on all that I told you, but also over 44,000 people, and that's the number for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines trials in the US, were experimented on, right? People sign up for a clinical trial when some, when half of them or, or almost half of them got the vaccine and half of them did not get got the vaccine, they got a placebo. That was the actual experiment that was modeled on enough numbers for us to know the safety, the efficacy, and the, um, and, and, the, and the adverse effect profile that the vaccines had. So they are not, they are not experimenting on us. The experiments already happened for us to have enough information. What we are, what we are doing right now, it's surveilling. We are looking for other adverse effects that we hadn't seen before, any harmful effects, which is normal. It's, it's okay. standard practice for any drug that's approved in the market or any vaccine or any compound that we're prescribing to, to an individual. So um, they were not rushed. 
the experiments mm -hmm. were experiments were not conducted on us uh, and now we have a product that has extremely good signs of safety and efficacy yeah. absolutely so so alisa let me ask you this uh, so now we know that we have a vaccine. Actually, we have three vaccines. Uh, we know that a lot of doses have been gotten into people's arms. But you're the expert on this next question that I'm going to ask you is, what are some of the challenges that people are finding in Minnesota, where we both are, or outside of it? What is your experience? Tell us more from your perspective. What is happening first, and how can we help? Yeah, so I would say late January, I believe, or maybe early January was kind of when the vaccine started being available to the public, to the priority population of 65 plus. There were some major, um, I would say mostly technical and access challenges, um, being that that population is 65 plus, uh, not all of them grew up using computers. Most of them didn't grow up using computers and due to the nature of this pandemic um, of physical distancing, um, you know, they needed to use a computer to sign up for these appointments and there were very limited appointments. Um, so definitely technology has been a huge obstacle. Um, uh, people have found really great ways to work around it by having nieces or nephews um, help them sign up or grandchildren even. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, language has been a, a major barrier as well, e even in that age group, because um, there's technology and then language. So a lot of the, the registration materials that first were um, in English and not in, I mean, translations do come out, but sometimes they can take a little bit of time. Um, and really, one of the challenges is that there's a limited amount of vaccines. There's quite a few vaccines. You know, I think that Minnesota has gotten very generous amounts of vaccine, which I can, you know, I'm grateful for, but it's a limited amount of vaccine and there's a lot of people that want to get the vaccine. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to get the vaccine. So people are a little bit confused. They say, okay, well, I know I have a primary care provider, but Walmart's giving the vaccine. Um, should I wait for my primary care provider or should I go to Walmart tomorrow and get the vaccine? Um, it, it's really, it's been a little bit confusing um, for individuals to say, okay, uh, what's the right way for me to get the vaccine? And how do I find appointments? There's people who are driving across you know, Minnesota is a big state, so people who are driving way up to northern Minnesota to like Thief River Falls, um, five hours away to get a vaccine. Um, so I can say, yeah, there's just a big demand and um, a limited amount of vaccine. So that's one of the biggest thing that, things that's been a challenge for people getting the dose in their arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so, and then how can we help? Like, where can we tell people to do? Because I, I agree with you. I have, had, I have to reach out to friends that are in the age group that is eligible for at the moment and or, or their you know, sons or daughters or family members and say, hey, if you want your mom, your grandmother to get the vaccine, they need help. Because what usually happens is the generation that's getting vaccinated, vaccinated right now or that is eligible for, 
it's used to giving a phone call or getting a phone call mm-hmm. for the healthcare needs, right? So they, 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 they spend hours on the phone and no one's picking up, not because they don't want to, it's because there's limited phones, uh, you know, people helping out over the phone and, 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 and not availability. And then what I also seen is other people saying, well, no, there's a trick for it. So you have to go to this website, but Monday at 8 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever, tell us a little bit more. And, and we have to be standard about it. So what's the, the go-to resource to find uh, this? And again, consider Minnesota and, and, and the nation. Let's give some people some advice. Absolutely. So you know what? It's, it kind of feels like a lottery right now. Like mm-hmm. you, you're looking for that like golden ticket. Um, what I would recommend, so people who have a primary care provider, mm-hmm. I would advise them to... Um, to wait to be contacted by that primary care provider, unless they're an essential worker, for example, that is um, going to become eligible at an earlier time than than their age group would normally be eligible for vaccination. Um, but yeah, that's one of uh, one of the biggest things is these primary care providers in hospitals where they're seeing these patients. Um, your primary care provider knows the most about your health. They know about your allergies. They know about your conditions. Um, so they're, especially with conditions, they're going to put you in the right priority group. As far as, uh, let's see, if you don't have a primary care provider, I would recommend definitely looking into the options of like uh, Walmart. I think Walmart is is vaccinating nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, CVS is, is also um, oh, there's a lot. I actually talked to my sister-in-law the other day and she got vaccinated at Kroger in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of different, um, kind of supermarket chains that are vaccinating. Um, a lot of times, uh, what I would recommend for people who are helping people find vaccines is, um, you know, check out those websites every once in a while to see if there's availability, but also keep an eye out for community events, um, public health announcements from your county, because sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll make these announcements and they'll say, hey, we've got 200 doses of vaccine. These people are qualified. So pass on the word, definitely. Um, You know, there's no simple answer. I can't say this is the way to get the vaccine, but um, certainly you've got to Keep your eyes open and also look out for the people in, in your family or in your immediate circle that might be in that qualified age group. Um, yeah. So just being thinking about others and passing on the information to people that might be able to use it. Yeah. So, so in summer, it's an active process and it could be, and it can be frustrating. I think we need to acknowledge that, right? Um, because there's several places, there's not a centralized way. I will start, like Alisa said, with your primary care provider, if you have one. The okay. second thing, I'd, let's, let's have a look at the Department of Health from your local either from your city, your county, or your state, which is also providing resources of where to go and what's the place, where's the place to, to look into that. We know that Walmart, CVS, and, um, and Walgreens are offering them and have you know, a straightforward process nationwide, but there are other um, chains like Kroger, like you mentioned, and the other uh, mm-hmm. drugstore that you were mentioning here in Minnesota, I, I don't remember that you sent me a link, but there's- Thrifty there's, White, there's, yep. Mm-hmm. Thrifty White. So, it really varies. And the, the other thing is that we need help, right? We need to mm-hmm. find some, and that's unfortunate, but that's the reality. We need to, to find help from someone that can navigate the website, help your grandparents, help your parents, 
because it's a frustrating process and it's technology based. And for you, it might be just checking quickly on your phone. For them, it might be something that it's very stressful. The good thing is that the numbers of doses that are going to be available in the next few months is going to grow exponentially. So mm-hmm. the availability is going to grow. We're getting better at it. We're, we're, we're we're getting better at navigating where the vaccines are, putting them in people's arms, extending the hours, et cetera, et cetera. So it's gonna get better and even better and better and better. Uh, so just be patient. Um, Absolutely, it's gonna get yeah. easier. Yeah. Um, and so once we're able to get the vaccine, which vaccine should we get? Is, are they different at all? Is one better than the other? So I'm going to answer this question how I will answer it to my grandmother, my mom, or my dad, <laughs> which are all eligible for the vaccine. I will, and, and I'm, but I'm going to answer, and they're all back in Venezuela, but I, if they were here, I will ask them to get whatever, whichever of the three available vaccines is available to them as soon mm, as possible. Okay. Navigate it, you know, all the things, Go drive two hours, do what you need but get any of them. Don't get hung, hung up on the efficacy pr- factors because, and I will tell you why. You know, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have a very good efficacy on, on, on their numbers, but the Johnson & Johnson has, vaccine has also other advantages. Now, the way, and this might be the most complex part of the episode today, <laughs> I'm going to do my my very best to explain it well, the efficacy is calculated in an interesting and feasible way is how we can actually measure it. So because we need the numbers and this is how it's done. Like I told you, 44,000 or more people, I need to update my numbers to include the Johnson and Johnson (laughs) clinical trial, but uh, a bunch of people went into randomized trials where people got the, the vaccine and people got the placebo right? And what we were measuring, one of the most important things that we can measure at some time point was who got symptomatic COVID-19, meaning Mm -hmm. you got sick enough, which is not everybody gets sick enough, and not, you know, you get sick enough to develop symptoms, recognize them by the surveillance methods they have, and go get tested and get positive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not what always happens. You also have the asymptomatic people, you know, that got COVID, even if they had the vaccine or not, that we couldn't measure that easily because in that, in that frequent amount of time, because they didn't get symptoms. So we don't have, we didn't have a reason to test them. You know, the, the clinical trials did collect information um, on, you know, random samples that they were taking to answer that second question of what happened in a symptomatic vaccine and an asymptomatic transmission, and we are seeing very good, num- very good numbers on those, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the Johnson & Johnson trials and the data is based one outside of the U.S., two, it, it does have one less dose, but, and three, it was done in countries where we, it's, it was not comparable, the, the healthcare situation, one, and we had variants that facilitated transmission that were not as prevalent as in the Pfizer and Moderna trials. Mm-hmm. So we had a virus that was spreading faster in a different country, and that's the data we have. 
So the efficacy is not as good as the other ones, but it's very good. But here comes the why. So you can probably mute the last two minutes of what I say. And the reason why you should get any of the three vaccines is because the most important outcome that you're trying to prevent is a severe hospitalization or death. Mm -hmm. And those numbers are nearly equivalent. The protection from the three vaccines for, the, for those outcomes is nearly equivalent across the three groups. Second reason why is actually because our second, you know, we want to stop from getting sick. We want to stop ourselves from getting very sick or die, but we also want to stop the virus. Mm -hmm. So vaccines is the third, you know, is the answer to that one. Virus replicate and transmit in people that are not vaccinated. So the more vaccines we have, the less likely you are to transmit and the prevalence of the virus goes very low and we don't have much to worry about. That's what we're trying to get there. That's what we're trying to get to. So that's why it's important to take any of the three because the more of us are vaccinated, it's not gonna eventually matter which one had better efficacy in one trial or the other. We need some level of immune response that protects us from the virus so the pandemic can go away and we can move on to the next normal. Absolutely. And I purposely say next normal because we don't really know what's going to be, but it's going to be much better than March or April of last year when we were stuck at home not knowing what to do. That's where we're trying to get to. Certainly. And I have a really simple analogy. Uh, I'll give a preface. I don't know much about basketball. I don't know yeah. much about free throw <laughs> rates, but here's my, my COVID-19 vaccine analogy. So you're going to be in a free throw contest. Um, and you can either choose to do the free throws yourself, or you can choose between two professional basketball players. Right. So you've got LeBron James and let's say he has a, a free throw accuracy rate of 92%, or you've got Steph Curry who let's say his, his percentage is, um, 74%, you know, these don't, don't quote me on this. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure what their percentages are. I'm sure yeah. they're wonderful at basketball. Um, or you can do it yourself. You know, that option is there. Um, so let's say you were second to pick and shoot, you weren't able to pick LeBron James. So that 94% um, accuracy is gone, but you could still pick Steph Curry and he's got 74% free throw rate. Um, or you could do it yourself and you have a 0% accuracy rate. <laughs> so who are you gonna pick? Are you gonna pick? the 74% accuracy or the 0% accuracy. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, that's just kind of um, it, getting any of these vaccines is better than depending on your immune system on its own. Mm -hmm. that, that's actually a very good analogy. I'm going to probably steal it from out for other talks. <laughs> it's very good. But yeah, that's actually exactly what I was, what, what we need to think about again. And again, that free throw accuracy, right? That you just mm -hmm. said is for the actual shot. That's the symptomatic COVID. Winning the game or winning the contest, everybody has, you know, both of them have the same accuracy. That's what I'm trying to, that's what Absolutely. we're trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Now I have a question for you. Are you vaccinated and why? Because I already know the answer. <laughs> yes, I am. As, as you know, because I've always been complaining to you after each dose of the vaccine. Yes, yeah. I am vaccinated um, through my work at the test sites throughout mm -hmm. Southern Minnesota, I was able to get a vaccine through um, 
Freeborn County Public Health, um, and I received the Moderna vaccine, and I, I received both doses. Great, great. And then, again, and, and you're, a, you're a, consider a frontline worker because you're mm -hmm. testing people, so you are at very high risk, and you were like the second or third wave that happened in Minnesota, if I depending on how you want to call it. Yeah, I believe I was second wave. And and let's see, Jose, you have received the Pfizer vaccine. Correct? I got two doses of the Pfizer and I love telling this this crazy story. <laughs> so I have a spinning bike in my in my living room that came home at, you know when the gyms were closed. And we were and I'm a frontline worker and we I was kind of the first group i got vaccinated in the first few weeks or, or month of, of vaccines being available in minnesota but i was you know they told us you're going to get an email one day for you to look at you know an invitation to come get it scheduled from the hospital so i was compulsively for days refreshing my email and i remember it was like 6 p.m and i got the email and i couldn't unstrap myself fast enough from the bike to come <laughs> to the computer and actually schedule myself and the reason i tell this analogy is that is my story, but if you talk to any of my colleagues that are doctors that were maybe in the ICU or they were seeing the consequences of this virus, they have some sort of similar story of how free, how fast they were rushing to get the vaccine when it was made available to them. So, you know, the scientists, healthcare workers are rushing through it as soon as it's available to them. They're looking for it, they're scheduling, they're getting in their arms because they want trusted and they know the capacity that it has to help us solve the problems that we're having through the pandemic. Absolutely. And you know what, I think one of the most beautiful moments that I've had this past year during the pandemic was going to the Minneapolis Convention Center and seeing their mass vaccination event going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, they vaccinated thousands of people. I'm not even sure how many thousands they, they vaccinated that day, but being in that room and seeing all of these individuals um, getting kind of this, this, it, it was almost like um, they're getting a new life. You know, they're, they're gonna, they're getting that guarantee that someday they're gonna be able to go back to normal. And for me, that was, it was such a beautiful thing to see um, it was powerful to see people getting those, those doses in their arms. And I just, yeah, it like, I'm, maybe I'm a little bit sappy, but I was almost in tears there. Yeah, it, it's great. So, um, so, well, you said, you said to me a few minutes ago that you were complaining over text yeah. because of your both two doses. Tell, tell us a little bit of what you felt so people can relate to what happened. Yeah, you know what, and the vaccine is a super exciting thing, but I totally want to recognize the fact that it can be quite unpleasant after you get it. Um, so after my first dose, you know, I had the sore arm and then the next day, oh my goodness, I just felt like I had like the flu. I had a bad headache, um, you know, kind of had chills. Um, I actually had to have my roommate help me put my jacket on because my arm, I like couldn't lift it up. Um, it, it was pretty miserable. And honestly, it happened to me during, after both doses. Um, and mm -hmm. I ran, I ran a fever too, but you know what? I personally, I can say I've had COVID and mm -hmm. I would much rather have that vaccine reaction that I had than have COVID again, because, um, you know, when I was sick, I, I just laid, I couldn't get up from my couch for about two weeks. Um, I had persistent fatigue for about a month afterwards. And all that being said, I'm, 
a healthy individual. I exercise regularly. You know, I eat fairly well. Um, and that's what we kind of what Jose said. You don't know how it's going to affect you. Um, and I would rather have bad side effects for one day from the vaccine than to gamble again at seeing how COVID affects me. Yeah, great. That's that's pretty powerful. And in my perspective, I al I've also been vaccinated. I had the Pfizer vaccine, like I think I told you before, and I had fatigue for the first dose. I did. I don't have a his. I had. I was. I didn't get COVID before the vaccine, so mm -hmm. I wasn't. I'd, I wasn't exposed to it before, um, to what I know. So the first one, they told me I was going to get some pain in my arm and some fatigue, and maybe I was just tired. But you know what? I went to bed that night and woke up great the next day. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, so happy when my vaccine day was like feeling I was reborn. The other thing is when I did get my second dose, I did feel, you know, I had some symptoms. I stayed in bed for a day and I was lucky enough to just work on my computer and do stuff during, during that day. Mm -hmm. But after in the afternoon, I was fine. You know, I got my, my shot at 6 p.m. one night and then the next night by, by 6 p.m. I was great, right? I was a little tired, but I was good. That compared to, and again, I, like, like you said, I might, I'm a little older than you. I don't have really much of comorbidities, but I, I consider myself healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would do fine. Um, one important thing to say is it's suspected that younger people, people that have been exposed to COVID or had had COVID, have a lot of symptoms. Mm -hmm. have some symptoms, reactions to the vaccine. But that's a good thing. That's the immune response that you're getting. Absolutely. Some, some older people might not get symptoms or can get symptoms. So it's very buried what could happen. But it shouldn't discourage you to you know, say, oh, I didn't get any symptoms about after my vaccine. So it didn't work, right? I didn't get any immune response. You did. It's just some factors that we don't really know because we're figuring out what is the actual uh, side effect profile. And those are not side effects. They're actually just symptoms that you get as a reaction to, to the exposure to the, to the vaccine. But I think from from two of us, for the two of us that've been vaccinated, that've been in the front line, um, maybe not in the ICU, but mm -hmm. we, we we've been dealing with and and helping people and in in several other ways. Are we we were both rushed to the vaccine when it was made available to us, and we we're figuring out how to help others to get it to their arms, Absolutely. and and I think is is just a testimony that we want to bring out to the listeners of. Um, try to get the vaccine, but you're going to have to actively look for it in most states, and at least for now. Um, the good thing is that we, there's a good plan in place for enough doses for the whole country um, and enough doses for everybody that needs it. Um, one important thing that I want to bring up is it's, um, it's about the cost of the vaccine, Alisa. Tell us about a little bit. Ask, tell us how much do people need to pay if they need to pay? Is the vaccine free or not? How does it work for the economic side of it? Yeah, so the vaccine will be completely free. Mm -hmm. it, it is completely free. Um, and in the process of getting the vaccine, um, I believe in, in some places they ask you for your insurance information. And that's not because they're going to charge you but they can charge the cost of the vaccine. They can run it through your insurance. And that's just kind of a help for them. Um, it, but it, it has nothing to do with you. And, and it goes the same as testing. Testing 
is free. So COVID testing will always be free um, during this pandemic. And uh, cost, we don't think, in public health, we don't think that cost should ever be a barrier for people to protect themselves from a deadly pandemic. So yeah, um, yeah that vaccine is free. If anybody is trying to charge you for it, that's not okay. Um, no. You need to report that to your local public health. Um, but yeah, we really want barrier-free vaccination. And, mm -hmm. and that's what um, I think that Minnesota at least has done a wonderful job of yeah. making sure that it is free. <laughs> yeah, most states are. And again, the vaccine, you know, if you have insurance, they will request your information and they will probably build the insurance. It will not be an out-of-pocket expense and it will not be a part of your deductible. Exactly. But if you don't have insurance, then it's not, you know, it's fine. They're still going to, they're going to schedule it and give it to you at the same rate that they will give you the vaccine if you, if you didn't have, if you did have insurance. So it's important for people to know that. The other important factor is Proof of residency, right? Or 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 ID. Um, give us a general idea of what you know from Minnesota, and I know that applies to most states. And I can give you some sense of what what we have seen. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, this is a really interesting question that also varies a lot by um, by where you're getting the vaccine. So mm -hmm. local public health, they will not ask for proof of residency. Um, you know what, at most, when I got my vaccine, I didn't even have to prove my identity. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. need to show any identification at all. Um, they, they kind of already knew who I was because I was referred to them. Um, but it, I didn't need to show anything. I did need to put my information and it's important on those on, on the vaccination forms to enter your accurate information, mm -hmm. your accurate address. Um, this won't be used for anything for else anything. other than the records of, of this person was vaccinated on this day, they received this, um, this type of vaccine. And um, so that's how it is in the county kind of public health uh, vaccination sites. In the state sites, the same. So the um, MDH sites that are run, they do not ask for any type of of identification proof of residency. However, um, uh, the grocery stores, Walmart, CVS, uh, Thrifty White, so some of those places will ask for a driver's license to confirm identity. That's where I would advise, um, you know, if people don't have that type of documentation or um, you know, they feel uncomfortable sharing that, then I would say maybe that isn't the best, you know, place for you to get vaccinated mm -hmm. um, at clinics. And maybe you can share this with me from your experience at Mayo Clinic. I'm not sure if they, if they're requiring any ID to pr as a proof of identity. What can you tell me about that? Well, I think it's, 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 it's in a hospital setting. So there's a, the way you identify yourself is with your medical record number and your date sure. of birth. So I think that's that that's what they provide. So it's not a barrier there when when you are actually getting vaccinated. But I sure. think in summary is we gotta we gotta also ask and choose when we when we are looking for our vaccine, right? I mean if you're uninsured or on the undocumented, there are options for you. Mm -hmm. You're 
status or any kind of information is not going to be disclosed. There's even states, for example, Florida, that if you don't have a state ID, an ID in general, they will they will take a, a, a bill for, for an electric bill or something like oh, that. Really? And yeah, but for you to for you to show proof of residency, but not of documentation. So it really varies by state. But in in but it, but in in general, there's always an option if you don't have the requirements if your group is ready to get vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that um, it varies a lot by state, but I know specifically in Minnesota, one of the main goals of, of the Department of Health was to have an equitable distribution and to not have um, immigration status be a barrier to getting the vaccine. Because when we're thinking about this response from a public health standpoint, we want everybody vaccinated. Yeah. Um, the more people vaccinated, the the safer we are, closer, closer we are to herd immunity. So, Good. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that's all that we have for today's episode, our first episode of Health Matters by Market Scale. Um, any closing thoughts, Alisa? Yeah, I would say um, everybody stay safe. Um, keep practicing your um physical distancing on your mm -hmm. term but uh keep practicing your physical distancing washing your hands well um using masks and uh but stay positive you know i i think what we want to really emphasize on this is that there's hope we're getting closer um but we can't give up right now and again, we have more than a year in experience in this pandemic. We have a lot of data to 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 prove, you know, to to back up the decisions we're making and the suggestions that we're making. So um, empower yourself and look into resources that are important, like this podcast or websites, your Department of Health websites, um, and other resources that are credible. Um, what I could tell you is that we can see a light, we can see an end. I don't know if it's going to be by the summer, end of the year, but we already, we're doing very good with vaccinations. We're going to get better. It's going to get better. And the restrictions that most of us don't like, but have to, you know, try to meet are getting eased as the numbers get better. So this is all that we have for this episode. Thank you for listening or watching. And uh, Alisa, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Jose.